0: If you're seeking Biblical wisdom and understanding in these difficult and trying times, and you recognize the power of God's Word to delve deep into the issues of the heart, then welcome to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Quasney, Husband, father, counselor, author, and teacher, join us for Christ-centered, gospel-driven truth concerning our individual, marital, and parenting struggles. This is Biblical Counseling Today.
1: One of the longest-standing cultural conflicts of my lifetime has been with the problem of homosexuality. In many ways, it seems like we have lost this battle. Gay marriage is the law of the land. People seem to be comfortable with accepting homosexuals as a normal part of society, as a legitimate expression of sexuality. Yet in another sense, the cultural battle rages on. At least it should among Christians. Just a few weeks ago, my eldest daughter related an interaction with her son that she had, my almost three-year-old grandson. She prefaced the story by saying that she never expected to talk about homosexuality with a child this young. My grandson's current favorite TV show is Go Dog Go, adapted from one of our much-read Dr. Seuss books. He watches it all the time on Netflix. In the second season of Go Dog Go, there's a new dog family that moves into town who happens to be a lesbian couple, two mom dogs with a puppy. As my daughter watched in the background, she hoped this new gay dog pair would go unnoticed by my grandson. But the next morning, when doing family devotions, my son-in-law happened to be reading about Adam and Eve and how God made marriage between one man and one woman. Sure enough, my grandson spoke up and pointed out the gay couple in Go Dog Go. Marriage must not only be between one man and one woman if the puppy had two moms. So as a family, they talked about marriage and homosexuality. Not the conversation you think you have to have with a almost three-year-old preschooler, but obviously we do. Now, it shouldn't surprise us that the entertainment media would want to put more and more gay characters into our movies and TV shows. They think they're just reflecting culture. What may be a little shocking is that they are in shows that are mainly targeted to preschoolers, like Go Dog Go. I read recently that another beloved book series, Clifford the Big Red Dog, has also added a gay couple to its animated series. So, Go Dog Go isn't an outlier. It seems we are destined to have homosexuality represented in all the shows our children watch. And, of course, these characters are put in the most positive light. When you love the characters, it becomes much easier to change your mind about their lifestyle. So, let's continue thinking deeply about all things culture today, specifically about the culture of homosexuality and how to engage with it biblically. Now, when we're talking to our youngest children, like my grandson, about homosexuality, we must certainly tell them that it is wrong, especially when discussing marriage. Marriage, as established by God, is only right when it is between one man and one woman. The only right sexual desire is between a man and a woman. All other sexual desires are wrong. But another important starting point in the conversation is that homosexuality is not normal. Now that may sound like I'm spewing hate speech, that I'm saying that homosexuals are some sort of less than human defective beings. No, gays and lesbians are certainly made in the image of God and are normal human beings in that sense. What is abnormal is the homosexual desire in their hearts and minds. Here's one way to approach it historically. I've taken this from an abstract from a paper entitled, Is Homosexuality Normal? The author writes, In 1973, the American Psychiatric Association removed homosexuality from its list of diagnoses, thereby implying that it is a normal variant of sexual behavior. Let me stop there and expand. The APA and its Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, also known as the DSM, is our cultural gold standard when it comes to what is mental illness and what is not mental illness. So in 1973, with all the cultural changes occurring, our nation's leading mental health experts determined that homosexuality is a normal sexual expression. Up until that time, they believed it was abnormal, a mental illness, a problem that needed to be solved, but not anymore. Well, let's continue with the abstract. Since then, when homosexuals have sought professional help for emotional problems, psychiatrists have tended increasingly to assist them to believe that their emotional discomfort is the result of society's bias and intolerance and to accept and enjoy their preference for individuals of the same sex. Now, again, let me comment on that part. I really find this so sad and yet so enlightening about the psychiatric world's significant part in this cultural war. Think about the change in the counseling office or the psychiatric clinic Up until 1973, homosexuals would have been helped to see that their desires and behaviors were abnormal and needed to be changed. But after 1973, they were told that their emotional pain was not because of their wrong desires and behaviors, but because they weren't accepted as normal in society. What a great blame shift. My pain is because of you, not me. Society is at fault. If the world would just see homosexuality as normal, then the homosexual would have no more emotional problems. And this has been the trajectory of so-called help for the homosexual ever since, going on 50 years now in America. Don't miss that psychiatrists in general also told homosexuals to accept and enjoy their homosexuality. How misguided they have been. Well, here's more of the abstract. The World Health Organization, however, still included homosexuality as a medical diagnosis in the international classification of diseases. Normally, a child can be expected to develop into an adult with its genetically determined sex. When a boy who is physically and hormonally normal develops a preference for sex with another male, it is an indication that something is amiss. A pathological family environment is often present in the family of homosexuals. Okay, let me stop there again. The author of this research article is pointing out that there are still medical professionals and bodies throughout this world that see something abnormal about homosexuality. They even point to family environments as one of the prime causes. Now, I'm sure this doesn't sit well with the homosexual community, since it has worked so hard to make homosexuality a normal sexual expression. They certainly don't want it to be thought of as a pathology by the medical community. But let's get back to the main point. It is essential that we communicate to ourselves and to our children that homosexuality is abnormal. It is outside of God's standard. In Romans 1, Paul uses the language of unnatural. It is against nature. Again, not normal. Something is definitely amiss. Now, personally, I think Hollywood's attempt to make homosexuality normal is actually communicating the opposite. When most of the people in the TV show or movie are heterosexual and one or two are homosexual, doesn't that make homosexuality the exception rather than the rule? Don't get me wrong, I'm pretty positive that the entertainment world will work to put more and more homosexual characters into every show, portraying them even to be the majority. And again, every homosexual character is likable, while many of the heterosexual ones are not. So they aren't trying to teach that homosexuality is abnormal. But as Christians, we must continue to speak of homosexuality as sinful, unnatural, and abnormal. Yet, if we teach our children that homosexuality is not normal, then we must teach some corresponding truths. First, when something is abnormal, it is something to have compassion for and compassion about, not something to be feared. For many decades now, anyone who is opposed to homosexuality is quickly labeled as homophobic. As much as we may reject this label, it is essential that we aren't responding to homosexuality from a heart of fear, because it's tempting to react in a fearful way to things that are outside the norm, especially for our children who are confronted with it for the first time. But there's nothing to fear about homosexuality. Instead, we must be moved by compassion for those caught in the snare of homosexual desire and practice. And then secondly, when something is abnormal, we can be tempted to make fun of it or ridicule it. Just ask people with disabilities. Sadly, homosexuals often share the experience of being teased, mocked, and ridiculed, especially during their childhood or teen years. We must teach our children that that is not how we respond to something abnormal. We are to build others up, not tear others down. So when we teach our children that homosexuality is abnormal, we are not communicating superiority and inferiority. We are simply teaching that it is out of God's order. Third, when something is abnormal, we can tend to avoid it or to stay away from it. It is often tempting to teach our children to avoid all gay people. Now, we'll talk about this later in the podcast, but for now, it's essential that we train our children to love other people, not hate or reject them or avoid them. This doesn't mean we can allow intimate friendships with those caught in the sin of homosexuality, but we cannot simply default to mere avoidance. And then fourth, when something is abnormal, we could take pride in our normal state. Do we know that it is only the grace of God if we do not struggle with homosexual desires? Living in a fallen world means that we are all susceptible to all sorts of diseases, disabilities, and disorders. Homosexuality is a disorder of the heart, the desires, and the mind. It's just one of many. If we see ourselves as better or superior, this is just sinful human pride. Instead, we teach our children to be thankful to God for all his good gifts. Again, this should lead us to show compassion and grace to those who struggle with abnormal desires. So to sum up, our first and fundamental cultural training is to train ourselves and our children that homosexuality is not normal, not in line with God's perfect creation. It is a product of the fall of our sin. Our children will typically know this to be true, and yet they need to hear it from us in a definitive way, since the worldly culture is constantly trying to re-educate them on this matter. I think the next battlefront of this cultural war is that of marriage. Rather than just fighting against the normalization of homosexuality in our culture, We must fight for biblical marriage. One of the big arguments of the homosexual community is that the Bible says very little about homosexuality, only about six passages in all of Scripture. Then they go on to reinterpret those verses to prove that the Bible doesn't really condemn homosexuality. The better argument is that the Bible never talks about gay marriage. By its teaching or its narratives, it never gives one single example of two men or two women getting married. So we take our children back to Genesis 1 through 3, the most foundational passages of Scripture, which clearly teaches that marriage is between one man and one woman. If homosexuality isn't condemned by Scripture, which it is, it certainly isn't promoted by Scripture either. Again, if homosexuality was such a great and normal part of God's creation, why not talk about marriage in terms of two men and two women in the Bible? Do you see how important this battle line is? Marriage is the foundational unit of human relationships, and it must be defended according to God's design. So that leads us to a big question. Should Christians and our children attend a Gay wedding of a friend or family member? Well, I'll start with the simple answer no. If we believe that homosexuality is a sin and that gay marriage is a violation of God's word, how can we celebrate a sinful union, which is what a wedding is, a celebration? Of course, it's a little more complicated than this simple no, isn't it? Attendance and non attendance both have their unique consequences. So let's back it up and deal with the arguments for attending a gay wedding. We'll use the scenario of a friend getting married. First, attending the wedding could show love for that friend. Yes, your gay friend may feel loved when he or she sees you at the wedding. But are you actually showing biblical love or simply great human affection? Biblical love for a friend demands that we point them to Christ And confront them in their sin. Attendance can communicate approval of the marriage. Is that love? Second, attending the wedding shows grace for a friend. Again, we have a definition problem here. How is it grace to approve of a sinful union? It will only communicate a lowering of biblical standards, not the grace of God for sinners. A third pro is attending the wedding will keep the relationship. Now, this argument is understandable. Refusing to attend a friend's wedding may end your relationship. But what does attending the wedding do for the relationship? Are you telling your friend, your marriage is wrong and against God's commands, but I'll attend the wedding because I value our friendship? Even if you say something like this, you are still at a celebration of a marriage rejoicing when you should be grieving. Now, let's add more reasons for attendance by expanding to the wedding of a family member. Attending the wedding is a family obligation. Now, I understand this very well. We all have family duties that we feel some level of pressure to do. Weddings are a huge part of extended family life, that's for sure. If this is a sister or a brother of yours, it would be extremely hard not to attend. A cousin or an aunt or an uncle may be a little easier to deny. But where again does the Christian take a stand if not against gay marriage? Remember, these cultural issues we're covering will divide families, even though the pressure is often to keep up appearances of unity. And then fifth, as a parent of a gay son or daughter... I must attend the wedding. Well, this is the toughest of all scenarios. What does it communicate for a parent to refuse to attend the wedding of a son or daughter? And what consequences would come down the line? So this is clearly the hardest one to say no to. It takes a lot of prayer and wisdom for parents and hopefully unity. Can you say to your child, We love you, but we cannot give you away to a homosexual partner? Or is it better to attend the wedding while still voicing your disapproval? Additionally, what do you tell your other children, the siblings of the gay brother or lesbian sister, how are they to think about it? Obviously, the pressure is great to attend the wedding and just let your voice be heard on the subject beforehand. But again, how can a Christian attend a joyous celebration when we should be grieving. And more than that, how can we participate in something that only makes the state of our gay friend or family member's soul in a worse predicament? In other words, it's one thing to have homosexual desires and struggles, but it's a whole other thing to consummate them in a marriage. Biblical repentance and change is a whole lot less likely, humanly speaking, when a person is married than when he chooses to stay single and celibate. So while it may be easier to attend the wedding, let's consider together what we communicate by our non-attendance. And by not attending, I'm assuming you will tell your friend or family member why you are not attending, not just not show up and make some lame, lying excuse. First, non-attendance says we do not approve of this union. We cannot celebrate something that we do not approve, even if we love you. Second, non-attendance says that this is a false marriage. Even if this marriage is recognized by the civil authorities, it violates the very definition of marriage. If I said I was marrying my dog, it would not be a true marriage, even if some human authority says it is. Gay marriage is not marriage. It's just a civil union. Third, non-attendance says that you are too important to me to just silently condone this marriage. Now this may not be received as a loving action, but you certainly must tell your friend or family member that this is way too important just to treat it as a happy occasion. And then fourth, non-attendance communicates it is more important to please God rather than to please man. We all struggle at some level with being people pleasers. What will people say if we don't attend the wedding? What will they think of me? Yes, we have to consider the feelings of others, but we have a higher calling to please the Lord. Again, how can we participate in a ceremony, in a celebration of something that goes directly counter to God and his design for marriage? It is often hard to choose to please God in the face of persecution, but to say no to a gay wedding is to say yes to real marriage. And again, in this culture war, we are fighting for Marriage. We need our children to see what biblical marriage is and not come to believe that anyone can get married to anyone else. Of course, a gay marriage is more than just a wedding ceremony and there are more decisions that come into play after the wedding. In all those relational decisions, you must hold up the truth of God's word and show the love of God for sinners as well. Truth and love, what guides all of our biblical counseling of others. just a couple more places to engage when it comes to confronting the culture of homosexuality. First, we must recognize the power of identity and community. How do you identify yourself? You probably start with your first and last name. Maybe you go from there to your nationality and your ethnicity. Then maybe where you're from or where you're living now. If you are a heterosexual, you probably don't identify yourself that way. I'm a heterosexual, or see yourself as part of the wider heterosexual community. But homosexuals are taught to put their sexual identity as primary in their lives. To come out is to announce your sexuality to the world. And then belonging to the wider gay community is paramount. It is a place of safety and belonging and like-mindedness. What we need to teach ourselves and our children as Christians is that this is a false identity and a defective community. It is actually an imitation of the most important identity and communities. We are called to identify with Christ and define our community in the church. Now certainly there are those who profess to be gay and Christian or are gay and belong to a Christian church. But this requires a particular theology one that sees homosexuality compatible with Christianity. The truth is when we come to Christ, we must deny our sinful identities, reject them, die to them. So a gay Christian is an oxymoron. If what is intended is a full pursuit of a homosexual lifestyle alongside the full pursuit of Jesus. It is equivalent to me saying that I'm an adulterous Christian, fully embracing a lifestyle of adultery while being a Christian. They don't fit together. They are antithetical to one another. The only way to be a Christian is to renounce the sin of homosexuality and do daily battle against those sinful attractions and desires. Well, that goes for community as well. Christian churches have been told by homosexual advocates that we need to be more welcoming to gay people. While we all need to grow in our welcoming of others, what are they really saying? Sadly, they are looking for acceptance of homosexuality as a legitimate orientation, of homosexuality as a good and healthy sexual expression. They want churches to stop calling it a sin. That's what is unwelcoming. But the truth is that the Church of Jesus Christ calls all sinners to come, to repent of our sins, and to look in faith to Jesus and enjoy the process of sanctification by the work of the Holy Spirit. The church welcomes all people. We should want all to enter into the covenant community of Jesus Christ. There's just one way to enter into the community of believers. And that is not by being a certain color or ethnicity or only battling certain sins. Those who see their identity in Christ and not in their homosexuality need to be in the church. If the church is communicating that anyone tempted with homosexual desires and affections is not welcome, then that is against God's word and not reflecting Christ at all. But the church is responsible to hold up the truth of what is sin and what is not, calling sinners to repent and believe and worship Christ alone. Well, one last issue when it comes to homosexuality, our children and friendships. Several years ago, we had a couple of members of our church's youth group come out as gay. Understandably, some parents question whether or not someone embracing a homosexual identity could or should be part of the youth group. If they were allowed to participate, some parents struggled with whether or not their own children would be allowed to keep on attending. This scenario demonstrates the cultural battle we face as Christians. When do we shield and protect our children from certain things and people? And when do we allow interaction and relationship? As I said earlier, we have to guard against acting in fear towards gays and lesbians. But we also must be wise in how we encourage and allow our children to interact with children at their school, in their neighborhood, or maybe even in church. So here are a few basic guidelines I would suggest we follow. First, if the gay friend or classmate or neighborhood kid is not a Christian, then we must certainly guard our children from a level of close relationship or friendship. But that is true of all nonbelievers, as God's word is clear about there being no possible fellowship between light and darkness. But secondly, you do want to teach your child to be a light, to be a witness, to share Jesus with this acquaintance. You will need to equip your child to do that. And again, that doesn't come in some form of intimate friendship, but in a guarded way. Third, recognize that preventing a friendship from occurring doesn't mean you don't want your children around people not like them. You want them to not be swayed into believing that there's nothing wrong with homosexuality. You want them to love the sinner, but know that it is sinful behavior. Fourth, you teach your child to pray for the person struggling with homosexuality. Our children, as well as ourselves, need to invest much more time praying for the souls of the lost. But fifth, what if the child or youth professes to be a believer or goes to your church? Again, we get back to the issue of either a person who is a true Christian struggling with sinful desires or someone holding on to a homosexual identity and not an identity in Christ. Depending on the age and maturity of your child, he or she could be friends with a true Christian who is just struggling with same-sex attraction. But of course, you would require open and honest communication along the way about it. Finally, you always want to hear from your own child about any temptations he or she has in the area of sexuality. This is true even if there is not a gay friend in the picture. This is a subject that must be talked about with the next generation. In closing, let me remind all of us that this cultural battle is not a war against homosexuals, but against our true enemies, Satan, sin, our flesh, the dark forces in this world. The culture of God's kingdom is about reconciliation, redemption, justification, and sanctification, true biblical change. What we are fighting culturally is the ongoing movement to make homosexuality normal and good, and acceptable, and noble even. Hopefully, we would fight against any sin being normalized. What if the cultural norm was that adultery was good and normal and acceptable, or murder, or rape, or lying, or anything against God's commands? The movement of the world's cultures is to always call what is evil good, and what is good evil. And so it is with homosexuality. Christians are deemed intolerant and even evil for not calling homosexuality something that is good. As we represent Christ, we call people to leave the path of destruction and follow
0: Jesus on the narrow path of life. Thank you for listening to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney. This weekly podcast is supported by Biblical Counseling and Training Ministries, which you can learn more about at bctministries.com. If you have found yourself encouraged or challenged today, please share this podcast with your church, family, and friends. Rate us on iTunes and your social media outlets. It really helps. Until next time, may you enjoy the riches of God's compassionate grace and mercy in your life.